This is Paul Puckett. Welcome to Getting There. Welcome to the conversation today on Getting There. As always, I call it a conversation because even though you could call it a monologue, hopefully the topics covered and the music and everything else get you to think a little bit about how you are doing things not only in your investment portfolio but in your life. One of the things we emphasize every week on Getting There is the value of your time and your life compared to the value of any other asset you hold. Your time and your life are worth infinitely more. But we tend to spend all sorts of time in ways that aren't necessarily fun or profitable or really, pardon the pun, worth our time. So today what I want to do is, since year-end is approaching, since year-end is approaching, you're going to be seeing a great deal of articles like the one we're going to review today. Articles that look at end-of-year planning and look at, well, what should we do with our money in the expectations of what will be occurring in the investment markets next year? That alone is worth talking about. Um, So uh, we're going to cover this article in detail, not because it's a great article or because it's a bad article, because it, it points out some of the things that you should be thinking about whenever you listen to people like me on the radio or TV or read um, articles. You need to be thinking about, well, do they really know what I need? Do they really know what they're talking about? Do they really offer the type of advice that will improve my life and improve my portfolio return? So it can be very challenging, particularly if you're not a professional in the field, and it's challenging for professionals too sometimes to remember that we actually serve people as opposed to the money itself. It can be challenging to know who you should listen to, and sometimes it just feels like you're a rider on the storm. There's a killer on the road 
on the storm Riders on the storm Into this house we're born Into this world we're thrown Like a dog without a bone And actor out on loan Riders on the storm 
Bears on the Storm. That was the doors. Like a dog without a bone. You ever feel like you're like a dog without a bone? I know sometimes I do. I think we all do. Let's get the disclosure out of the way since part of what I'm going to be talking about is you need to know who it is you read, listen to, or see or work with when it comes to investing and pretty much everything else. My name is Paul Puckett. I'm an investment advisor representative of Q1 Advisors, a registered investment advisory firm located in Virginia Beach, Virginia, serving clients in Virginia, North Carolina, and Florida. I'm also a life insurance agent, independent life insurance agent, working in Florida and Virginia. Anything you hear on this show is entitled to make you think. Hopefully, you'll learn something, and as a result, possibly have a better portfolio return and a more relaxing life, and if nothing else, constantly be reminded that your time and your life are worth more than any asset you have. Okay, so you're going to be seeing lots of articles, um, assuming you um, read the news or, or seeing them on TV or hearing them on the radio on It's the Year End. You know, and those articles are only on managing money. Um, you're going to see a lot of articles on New Year's resolutions, weight loss, um, assessing you know your life and things you want to do differently, and now's the time for change as we move into a new year. Um, you, you're going to be flooded with those just like you are every single year. And I don't want to add to that. I just want you to consider when you see these articles whether or not they are in your best interest, um, whether or not they offer advice that is solid. And sometimes, um, you know, I always say it's helpful to look and see, well, who is the source? Not just the media company or the um, publication itself, but who's the writer? And if they quote people, who are the people that are quoted? And, and you need to know that because you need to know whether that person really knows what they're talking about. Okay. First of all, the article we're going to read, review, I'm not going to read it, I'm going to review it. The uh, article we're looking at, it comes from Morningstar.com, but it was republished, as Morningstar often is, by most of the money outlets, um, such as CNN Money, um, Market Watch, etc. And it's by Christine Benz. She is the editor of Morningstar. And I'm sure you, if you're a do-it-yourselfer, and today's show is really targeting um, do-it-yourselfers as far as targeting, what I mean is the people that should be paying attention right now uh, the most are the do-it-yourselfers. Because if you're going to do something yourself, you're either going to go it alone or you're going to go it alone with Dr. Google or writers you trust or shows you listen to or tips you get from friends. You're going to get your information from somewhere unless you're able to operate in a vacuum which most people, quite frankly, can't. So this article is a year-end portfolio review in eight short steps. Now, real quickly, Morningstar is one of the top companies in the investment um, field in the providing of data. And they also have a boatload of analysts who cover the mutual funds, stocks, bonds, etc., and provide information at Morningstar.com to investors, some who subscribe for premium services at a relatively low price, so they can track their portfolio and get advice on exactly what they should be doing. Morningstar also provides professional software 
And I must like Morningstar because ever since I became an independent advisor, Morningstar Office, the professional software, has been sitting on my laptop um, and on my desktop hooked into their system out in Chicago so I can track performance of my clients' portfolios and have the ability to screen and analyze investments. So do not in any way, shape, or form, if I say anything negative about the article, assume, boy, I shouldn't listen to Morningstar. No, Morningstar is very, very good, but that doesn't mean they're perfect. So that's what we're going to talk about. Okay. Eight short steps. Um, the title, again, is a year-end portfolio review in eight short steps. By the way, as a writer, I have to say, they have the best titles because it, in, in just those, uh, let's see here, eight words, they let you know it's a portfolio review. It takes place a year-end, and it's got eight short steps. See? It's not going to take very long. makes you sort of want to see, well, what are the eight steps? Well, before we go there... It starts with a quick review of what has happened in 2016. So it mentions that in January of 2016, there was a 6% fall in U.S. stocks. They don't specify the index here, but I'm sure it's on their website. And then it recovered in March. Stocks sailed through the summer, dropped a little bit in October, and then had a sharp rally in November. They comment that the election had an unexpected reaction. Everybody thought, because the futures plunged over 800, it was just going to drop phenomenally. And it actually ended up going up. As a matter of fact, so far for the year, um, as of early December, this article was published on December 3rd, so I would assume, December 4th, so I would assume December 3rd, uh, Morningstar reports the S&P 500 gained more than 9% for the year with smaller cap and value funds double-digit for the year. So, um, they make the comments, highly likely you haven't, uh, if you haven't checked your portfolio recently, you'll be pleasantly surprised. And you will be. But you'll also find, this is absolutely true, that the contents of your portfolio have moved around a little bit. Now, why? Well, asset allocation, why am I having trouble speaking? Asset allocation is the process of deciding, well, okay, here's my portfolio. How much do I want in the stock market? How much do I want in fixed income or bonds? How much do I want in cash? Do I want to do some alternatives, maybe some REITs? Um, what's the method I'm going to use to manage the money? Well, if, if you're doing what I recommend and most professionals would recommend, then you're using asset allocation to decide in advance before you even invest well, where's the money going to go? Where do I want to put it? How much risk do I want to take? How much growth do I need? How much income do I need from the portfolio if you're retired? Well, what happens is over the course of time, when one asset class really does well, let's say you wanted to have a 50% stock position, and stocks do phenomenally well. You start the year at 50% stocks and 50% bonds, just to make it nice and simple math. Stocks go way up and bonds stay flat or don't go up as much or actually fall. Well, now all of a sudden you're sitting on a 56-60% position in stocks, which might be fine, but it might not be. So you've got you to monitor that. Well, here's what's interesting. She points out that all high-quality fixed-income securities have fallen, which is true this year. 
internationals also fallen. Um, as the dollar rises in price, international markets don't do so well, and emerging markets have dropped. So what do we need to do here at year-end? Well, she recommends starting with a, quote, wellness check, unquote. And basically what she's saying is you need to ask yourself, well, how am I doing from an investment standpoint? So there's two types of investors Morningstar um, looks at, and, um, and generally speaking, this is, this is um, a good way to look at investing. There are people who accumulate, typically younger. Um, you're building your portfolio. You, you're not taking anything out of it. You're, in, you're adding money to it, and you're accumulating wealth. And then there are those who are actually withdrawing from their portfolio, um, and they while they still might be maintaining and should be maintaining growth, they are, in fact, taking money out. So are they taking too much? How do you monitor that, right? So she recommends using different web tools like T. Rowe Price's Retirement Income Calculator, Vanguard, everybody out there in the mutual fund world has one on their website, Fidelity, etc. And you calculate based on your return assumptions, hmm, you calculate, well, how much can I take out? Did I take out too much this year? Um, did I not, could I take out more? You know, there's this thing, that line, return assumptions. My advice, and this is how we handle things at uh, Q1 Advisors, we don't really have return assumptions when it comes to the stock market. Um, I don't really think it's predictable in the short term. And I think it's dangerous, short or long term, to make assumptions about what your money's actually going to do. Um, you, you can control some things. You cannot control the return of the market. So just as a side note, conducting a wellness check is a great idea. How are you doing financially? You might want to do a wellness check on your personal life, too. How am I doing? Um, how's my weight? Do, a, do a, a wellness check on your wellness, probably with your doctor. Oh, look, that's interesting. Dr. Google or the actual doctor? Um, those that know me would say, well, we know you're not going to go to a real doctor if you can help it. True. Um, but, but funny enough, I really should because my philosophy when it comes to investment management is not that you cannot do it on your own. It's why would you? First of all, most people have difficulty doing it on their own due to either a lack of knowledge, a lack of experience, or the big one, a lack of keeping their emotions out of their investment decisions. Most of what financial advisors, investment advisors, and financial planners do is, well, the expression used is, hold, I don't hold hands with my clients, um, but they call it hand-holding. I don't like that phrase because it implies something that I don't think is accurate. It implies that the investor needs to have their hand held. They need to have somebody to, to guide them in such a way that they have to have their hand held while they do it. No, I think, I think you can be a confident investor. I think you're more confident when you work with a professional. So on a side note, I think a wellness check is best performed in conjunction with a professional. But at any rate, continuing, when you're doing this wellness check, if your plan's success is borderline from the article, focus on what's in your control, which is basically what I was just saying. But 
I want to emphasize the borderline shouldn't come from return assumptions. It should come from benchmarking, which is going to be later in this article. How, do I, how does my portfolio compare to an appropriate benchmark? The benchmark's return you can't control, but you can measure it. Okay, we're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about checking up on your asset allocation. Hi, this is Paul Puckett. As you may know, I love coffee. My friends would tell you I don't love coffee. It's an obsession, and not just any coffee. Espresso. If you're in the Bradenton area, one of the jewels of Bradenton is Old Main Street, and you'll find a coffee shop, B-Town Coffee, with a great alley and awnings and fans to keep you cool in the summer and in the shade, free Wi-Fi, and quite frankly, the best hot dog in town. Stop by. You'll enjoy B-Town Coffee. espresso. I was sipping some as you were listening to that. I was also noticing, and hopefully I sound better to you now, um, that uh, from an engineering standpoint, yes, there's a producer in California. Um, I want to thank those guys out at bbsradio.com for helping me sound good. There's also things I do at my end, particularly when I pre-record, and my microphone settings were quite hot. So if it sounded distorted, you have my apologies. Um, I guess I'll find out here shortly if it did. But from this point forward, we have reset the microphone, and hopefully it sounds the way you're used to hearing it. Okay, asset allocation, again, is the process of deciding how much money from your portfolio, what percentage you plan to put into growth assets, what portion you plan to put into fixed income assets, and what portion you plan to have in an emergency fund or into cash. And actually, the order of that should be the reverse of what I just did. You start off with the emergency fund. We'll get, we'll get to that again in a minute. Okay, this is the first quibble I have with the article. Morningstar, by the way, does have excellent tools um, that are free on their website. Their x-ray tool, where you can either track or put into your portfolio, put your portfolio into their system, it will show you the breakdown of your portfolio as far as what it's invested in, in U.S. stocks, international stocks, bonds, and cash. Let's say you're invested entirely in mutual funds. Um, just to make it simple, you own the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index, and you own the Vanguard Total Bond Market Index. And each one of those funds has a boatload of individual investments in it. What their software does is go inside the fund and break down exactly what's in that fund. In, on the professional software, and to a certain degree on the free software, you can find out the specific holdings, um, at least on the free one, you can do some of them. On the professional, you can do the entire portfolio. This is the um, issue. So, first of all, Morningstar maintains lifetime allocation indexes, and then she mentions a good target date fund. My position is there's no such thing as a good target date fund. It's applying old methods of money uh, management to the current day. So a target date fund, as you get older, is going to 
have a goal of reducing your risk by increasing your exposure to bonds. Class, sorry, you're not really a class, but it sounded good. Um, what happens when interest rates go up when it comes to bonds? Well, they don't do well. If they go way up, the funds tank. You're not reducing risk these days by moving more money into the fixed income sector. So you need to be very careful as you read these articles coming at year end about selling stocks to buy bonds, particularly higher quality bonds. But it does make sense to check your asset allocation. Now, within an asset allocation, there's also um, sub-allocations, for lack of a better term. In other words, okay, so we have stocks. But when we say stocks, what are we talking about? Well, you've got, by size, you've got large stocks, um, mid, mid caps, also known as middle size companies, small caps, small companies, and you actually have even below that, um, any weeny tiny companies, not a technical investment term, but there, there's companies of all sizes you can invest in. You need to not just look at your overall allocation, but particularly on the stock side, you need to look at, well, how much do I have in large, mid, small cap, and then how much do I have in international? And the reason that's important is most people are heavily loaded in the S&P 500, in the large cap. The S&P 500 is a large cap index. You may not be aware. The S&P 400 is a mid cap, and the S&P 600 is a small cap index. If you take all three, that's the S&P 1500. Uh, sometime, if you want to have fun, Google, um, see here, I'm sending you to Dr. Google, Google stock market indices, and you'll be amazed. You will really be amazed how many pop up. If I had Morningstar open right now, Morningstar office, I could tell you how many they track, and it's a big number. Okay, so you, that is very solid advice. Either with your financial professional or on your own, take a look at, well, what do I have in large, mid, and small cap? I believe and recommend professionally a larger weighting than most do in middle and small cap stocks. Why? I don't really think they are more risky. I think they have more room to grow, and they tend to have less analysts following them. There's less news in the middle and small cap areas, which allows those markets to function pretty efficiently, or inefficiently, I should say, which you can take advantage of as an investor. So here's the issue. In this sub-allocation, start, Morningstar starts talking about here your fixed income portfolio. Hmm. Redeploy from higher risk bond segments to lower risk. So, in other words, emerge, uh, not emerge, um, high yield bond funds are considered generally the risky side of bonds. Why? Well, because another word for high yield is junk bonds. Well, high yield bonds have had a great year, uh, as they are less interest rate sensitive and more what's happening in the economy. If the economy is growing, High-yield bond funds tend to do well. If the economy goes into a recession, they tend to lead, along with stocks, that recession by falling. Then the uh, Morningstar recommends high-quality short and intermediate-term bond funds. 
to improve your total portfolio's risk level. Oh boy. Um, you want to increase the risk in your portfolio, increase the weighting you have in bonds. Every article you see about reviewing your portfolio year in and preparing for next year that tells you to rebalance into any kind of bond fund except high yield. So I'm talking U.S. government bond funds, corporate bond funds, everything except high yield bond funds, and to a certain degree municipal bond funds for tax-free investors. I still say, though, if it's a fund, be careful. Those funds are poised for huge drops, 20, 30, 40 percent. There's an um, article I linked up on my website, ppucket.com. There's several of them now, predicting huge falls in the bond market, which I've been warning about for several years. Um, let's cover this, this fourth step real quickly, and then we're going to fit another song in here. Um, to me, this is your first step. It's step four in this chart, but you know, hey, professionals can quibble. Check adequacy of your liquid reserves. Okay, what, what's the fancy word for liquid reserves, your emergency fund. Whenever you look at your investment portfolio, start off by saying, do I have enough in cash so that no matter what the market's doing, I know I can go get it for the new roof, the new car, the deductible for my health insurance, whatever it is, you need to focus on making sure you have enough in your emergency fund. Incidentally, the article and I totally agree on that point. Um, the emergency fund is a critical part of your portfolio. It really is, you know. Um, well, maybe you still feel like a rider on the storm, but I want to follow with something I did last week with the uh, music here on today's show. Artists who do a song that has the same title that another artist did and has a totally different meaning despite the similarity. In this particular case, let's start out with the one I'm sure you know.
And that was the Steve Miller Band's version, Fly Like an Eagle. Focus on time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. Which, it's interesting, I always wondered why it didn't slip, slip, slip into the past. But maybe that's because the past is done. In future, hmm, we, we, can, we can have an impact on that by what we do here in the present. So, I'd like you to be able to fly like an eagle next year. Hope you flew like an eagle this year. Let's take a look at the last part of this article. Mind tax effects when making any changes. Always wise advice. Only comment I'm going to make there is be very, very careful not to let the tax tail wag the dog. Put more professionally, don't hold an investment purely because you're going to have to pay a capital gains tax when you sell it. I can't tell you the number of people I've worked with who, who decided, oh, I don't want to trigger a capital gain. And then they got to 70, 75 years old and needed to sell some assets and had huge gains because they never took them. Good to take your tax gains occasionally. This one is critical. 
her step six benchmark your performance. I would say benchmark your portfolio. So what does that mean? Well, how many of you play any sports of any kind or, or work out or whatever it is you do? You don't want to compare yourself to an Olympian, unless, of course, you are an Olympian or working towards the Olympics. But in general speaking, you want to compare yourself to people that are similar to you. Well, you need to do that with your portfolio, too. When you, when you look at most, probably just about all, brokerage firms and investment professionals, when they prepare a report for you to show you, well, how are you doing versus a benchmark, it's going to be the S&P 500, no matter what you're invested in. Well, that's not really a good way to do it. Part of that, by the way, is not because there's some conspiracy to keep you from knowing how you're actually doing. It, there's no conspiracy. In the old days, and to a certain degree still today, there's, there's some difficulty and some potential liability to the firm for getting a little too customized in how they benchmark your portfolio from an from a, uh, information technology standpoint. Pretty easy to report what the S&P 500 does, so let's compare to that. Well, remember when I mentioned mid, 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 uh, middle and small companies and international companies? Those companies are not in the S&P 500. So your performance versus the S&P 500 may be driven by being invested in something other than that. So you can create a custom benchmark, or your professional can, that mirrors your overall asset allocation. Now, if you have no idea what I just said, you're making my point. Even if you do know what I said, why are you wasting your time managing your own money? You know, let me give you a quick example of how I contradict my own advice. We moved into a new place. We moved into a new place recently. And having stayed at and visited a friend of mine who has a Sonos, S-O-N-O-S audio system, which used to be more than I would be willing to spend, but prices have come down on technology. It's, and it's really, really awesome. Okay? You know how I love music. Well, what if you could have music playing in every single room of your house, including your outdoor living area, so that no matter where you are as you move throughout your house, the music stays at the same volume. It's like it's like it's going with you everywhere. Wouldn't that be cool? Well, of course, Sonos was the original complete home audio company, but now Bose has a system, Samsung has a system, Denon or Denon, whatever. There are a bunch of them. So yours truly decides, even though right now is not the right time, with the expenses of the move, the expenses of everything else that's going on here at year end, and expenses of running the business, I don't really need to run out and buy a speaker system right now. Not if I look at my emergency fund, I'll tell you that. Okay. So what do I do um, if I did want to go ahead and buy it? Well, in my case, I'll probably spend, oh, I don't know, several evenings and lots of angst and consternation trying to find information on the Internet on how I should configure, which system is the best, and how I should configure it based on the size of the different rooms in the house. Waste of time. All of it's a waste of time. In my particular case, I should have said, gee, about how much will that run me? Mm, can't afford to buy that right now. Bye-bye. Done. Stop thinking about it. Didn't do that. So, I'm, I'm, letting, I'm sharing this. This is relevant. Harry, the dog's looking at me like, why are you talking about this? Because it's relevant.
the, you know, you should know, listeners, and Harry does know, a lot of the advice I give is because I make similar mistakes, not in investing necessarily, but in things that are similar, like wasting a lot of time researching something I could just as easily ask an expert, many of whom in that particular uh, area wouldn't even charge me. Uh, Paul, hey, what you need, what's your budget? Yeah, well, then what you should do is the blank system. And you're going to need big speakers for this room and small speakers for this room. And outside, I'd highly recommend the waterproof whatever. Contractors. We're going to be putting in a couple of ceiling fans out back. I could probably do that. Um, I might get electrocuted, but I could probably do it. Why would I? I mean... It's not. It probably will cost me more money if I try to do it because I'll probably break something. So my point is, when you look at your investment portfolio, the reason you hear me saying, "Hey, today we're talking to do-it-yourselfers," but in reality, I don't necessarily think you should be a do-it-yourselfer once you've accumulated enough. And it's not as much as it used to be, depending on who you talk to, to get somebody else to do it. I mean, if you enjoy it and you're good at it, please do it. It's like landscaping. I happen to enjoy yard work. I don't know why I'm in a condo where I don't get to do any, but I, I actually enjoy yard work. So I, it, I probably wouldn't pay a landscaper if I still lived in a house. But many, many people who know plenty about how to mow their lawn pay somebody to do it. Why? Because their time is worth more than the money to pay somebody else to do it. Okay. Benchmarking is critical. Now, we're returning in the article. Step seven is sort of a repeat. You want to assess your ass allocation, which I, I thought we already did. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at the article. We already did. But there's some interesting things here. Treasury Inflation Protected Securities Fund. First of all, and we'll talk about this one day. I may spend a show on it. Nothing, nothing in the investment world is safe when you consider from what? Treasury Inflation Protected Securities make you sound, makes it sound like since treasuries... Hey, full faith and credit of the U.S. government guarantees treasuries. They do. You may not have confidence in that, but you should. And then it's also inflation protected. So if interest rates go up, I'll be fine. When interest rates ticked up in 2013, what category of bond funds lost the most money? Oh, treasury inflation protected securities, Paul. You are correct. Um, I, I don't buy into the concept um, of Treasury Inflation Protected Securities Funds, I recommend you avoid them first. Long-term bond funds are pretty dangerous right now, too. The longer the term, the more you are likely to lose. All right, the only last thing that um, this article mentioned, step eight is to review your contributions to tax-sheltered savings vehicles. I would expand that to say, review your contributions to everything including charities and whoever you donate money to, as well as what you contribute to your portfolio if you're still accumulating money. Why? Well, particularly if you're building assets for retirement or for whatever else, you need to make sure you're putting in enough. And you don't do that, in my opinion, with return assumptions, a fancy way of saying what you think the market will do. You do it by measuring where you are and seeing, hey, am I on track? And in that particular case, not even with the benchmark. How many more years do I need before I need a certain dollar amount? Does it look like I'm going to get there? Forget return assumptions. Does it look like 
we're heading in the right direction. Maybe I need to contribute more. Don't forget to live your life, by the way. But maybe I need to contribute more. So, in closing, you're going to be seeing a lot of... We're not closing the show. We still have 10 minutes. Um, but in closing about this topic, which I spent a lot of time on today, you're going to see many, 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 many news broadcasts and lifestyle shows and articles in magazines and articles in newspapers and people like me on the radio saying, hey, it's year-end. It's year-end. Now's the time to quit smoking. You can lose weight. You can learn to trade online and double your money in a week. Some of those may be true. Some of those probably are not. You're going to be seeing a lot of those. Don't waste a lot of time. Figure out what it is that you want and how many things you can delegate so that you have more time. Focus on costs, maybe. You should definitely monitor what you're paying, if for no other reason to make sure that it's worth it. But try to take a lot of these things you see and hear and read with a bit of a grain of salt, because I do want you to fly like an eagle. And, you know, there's different ways to fly like an eagle.
That was a live performance of one of my favorite bands, Marshall Tucker. And they think you should fly like an eagle higher and higher every day. That's a pretty good goal. Pretty good goal for you to consider. But remember to live your life, not just focus on goals and focus on your portfolio and focus, 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 focus. Sometimes you should just focus on chilling. I'm 55 and I like that word. Relaxing, enjoying your life. Be focused enough to get everything you need to get done. You don't want to have additional stress because you know there's something you haven't gotten around to. But take with a grain of salt everything you're going to hear you need to do at year end. Now, one thing you might consider is don't wait for year end to do everything. Consider maybe having different times of the year, whenever it strikes your mind. You know, I saw a, a meme on Facebook that said everything was great until my jeans didn't fit. I don't know how many of you can relate to that. I've sort of paused in my diet. Thanksgiving threw me off, and I have no doubt Christmas and New Year's will as well. But that doesn't mean I should just say, oh, well, I'll just eat like a pig the rest of the year. No, I'm going to focus on the diet between now and those holidays. And I'm not going to eat like a pig. Well, I'm planning on not eating like a pig come those holidays. We do have holidays coming. I was debating taking off the remainder of this year and not doing the show until January. But I think, you know what, I'm going to take off the last show of the year. But I'd hate to miss the opportunity to do a Christmas show. The, the um, music from Christmas. There's lots of things we can learn from about life and about our money. And, well, quite frankly, getting there is celebrating, I believe, today is its 30th episode. If not, the next show is. Because we just started this year. So this will be my first opportunity to do a Christmas episode of the show. I'm not exactly sure what we'll focus on, but it'll be fun. I'm thinking maybe what, what would be appropriate is we're going to skip next week's show. I'm going to take off next week. And so the next show will be the 21st, and we're going to have a little fun that day. It will be talking a little bit less about reviews of articles, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Granted, I was trying to fit a lot in, and this show today was almost entirely about money. And Well, money's important. It's a tool. It helps you live the life you wish to live, or at least have available the things that you want to have available and be able to live where you want to be, travel, do whatever it is you do. But money is not your life, or at least it shouldn't be. It should not be your focus. It's no different than any other tool. You need a hammer when you're going to drive a nail. You need money when you want to pay a bill or buy something. So many things in life are free. They truly are. As a matter of fact, MasterCard sometimes I think says it best. You know, some things are priceless, they, they, not only there's nobody to pay, but there wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to assign a price. So we're going to talk slower, more relaxed, have more music, and enjoy ourselves. But I just want you to remember, yes, it's year end. Don't forget to enjoy yourself. Don't forget to have fun. Yes, yeah, start thinking about the goals you may want to work on next year. But that's a, you can do that anytime. That's a healthy thing to do. You might want to take a look back and be proud of how far you've come. You might want to. I don't know. Relax. 
It's not a bad thing to do, you know. Sometimes we feel guilty when we do that, don't we? On that note, pardon the pun, little Christmas music, the Christmas show in two weeks, taking off next week. Until then, I hope you enjoy the beginning of the holiday season. Thank you.